Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Hey, good morning again. My name's Gene. Uh, I'm part of the team here at Restore and... Uh, We've got a, a number of messages in the coming weeks that are, um, like often you walk in here and you know that we're in a series of messages, uh, but we're doing some one-off uh, sorts of messages. I've, uh, I've done a lot of work over the last year meeting with a lot of people one-on-one, uh, -on -one, and uh, Brendan and I do a lot of work with couples. And uh, in a lot of my one-on-one -on -one conversations, uh, I have begun to recognize a pattern a pattern that um, uh, brought sort of this whole message uh, to the forefront this morning. And uh, it's one that I, I hope that in the new year we'll be able to have uh, many more conversations related to this. But I've entitled this morning's message, Change Your Mind. How do I get better? Change your mind. How do I get better? Um, in, um, in 1990, you may recall... Uh, most of you won't recall, but in 1990, um, there was a, a boxer by the name of Buster Douglas. Anybody remember Buster Douglas? Yeah, there's a few of you. Thank you so much. He fought Mike Tyson. Uh, the odds were so far uh, slanted in, in Tyson's favor. I mean, Mike Tyson was a beast, and everybody knew that. Uh, the Mirage Casino in Las Vegas was the only one that actually put up odds on this fight because it was supposed to be such a, uh, a massive uh, uh, fight for Mike to win. And so it was 42 to 1 were the odds. And um, uh, Buster Douglas, he came into this fight and he was prepared. I don't know if you watched the fight, but he was on his game. Like his mind and body were in sync. And then, in, you know, against incredible odds, he persevered. And in the 10th round, he knocked Mike Tyson out. Nobody would have guessed that that could happen. Buster Douglas became the most unlikely heavyweight champion of the world uh, to date. And then 238 days later, and by the way, Brenda and I lived in Columbus, Ohio during this time. And so, uh, and Cody was, no, we were making Cody. Uh, he wasn't even out, you know. He wasn't even happening yet. February. February 1990. 238 days later, uh, after this fight, Buster Douglas fights Evander Holyfield. And unfortunately, Buster Douglas had not spent the last 230 days remaining on top of his game. I don't know what happened with him, but he came into the fight out of shape. 246 pounds, 15 pounds heavier than he was for the Tyson fight. And Evander Holyfield came in at 208 pounds, and he absolutely dominated uh, Douglas. Douglas was just sluggish. Uh, I was in a bar in Columbus watching this fight that, uh, that weekend, and um, we thought, like, he was a Columbus boy. Why We were all cheering for him, and wouldn't you know, it only took three rounds, and Holyfield stripped him of his heavyweight title. 
and knocked him out and went, he went down to the mat. Eight months and two weeks, that's how long Buster Douglas had uh, held his title. How long have you held your title? The title you have right now, how long have you had it? Uh, how long since your last defeat? See, Buster Douglas was a winner. He was a heavyweight champion of the world. Can you believe that? But he got lazy and he got careless. Rumor has it he went to McDonald's like the week of his fight. He got into the ring without being prepared for the fight. His mind, his thinking wasn't focused. And I don't know what kind of lies he was believing. But whatever they were, they created a lack of readiness. And he suffered this embarrassing, terrible defeat at the hands of Holyfield and took him out of contention. I wonder if you've counted yourself out. What's, what's happened in your life that's taken you out of contention? Do you find yourself in a cyclical pattern of thinking that keeps you from living with consistency and emotional stability? Let me say that again. Do you find yourself in a cyclical pattern of thinking that keeps you from living with consistency and emotional stability? See, I know from personal experience that our journey of life takes us uh, through weakness and it takes us through places that we would never choose to go. But I also know that just like Buster Douglas's thinking caused his defeat, makes him look like a weak man. What I know is that God takes weak men and... Um, and he's in the business of making us strong people. He takes, uh, even though like Satan makes, uh, Satan has this tendency, uh, the enemy of our soul has this tendency of taking uh, strong men and making them weak. But God's in the business of the opposing side and he's making weak men strong. So, you know, Buster Douglas, I don't know how much, I don't really know what happened to him after that fight. I know he tried to make a comeback at some point, uh, which was unsuccessful. But um, what I would hope that he has learned, and I hope that you have learned, that um, our past is not the most important thing. Our past is not the most important thing. Our future is. We have to be future-oriented people, believing that God's got more for us, that after we get past this, God's still for us even as we're going through it, but he's got more for us. I know that this past speaks loudly. What I've found to be true in my, off, in my own life is that God often uses those most painful, difficult moments of our past, those weak moments, the ones we dread the most, the ones we try to avoid thinking about. He uses those things to do some deep work within us. In fact, he uses those to help us become the person that he's created us to be. I think the question we have to ask is, what do I really want? Ask some of that question this week again. What do you really want? What do you want out of life? What do you want? And can you get to what you want with the same mindset that you have right now? Can you get to where you want to go thinking the way you've always thought? Well, I want you to turn with me. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Judges chapter 13. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. But it's in Judges 13 where we find that Israel was in a perpetual cycle of sin, rescue, worship, sin, rescue, worship, sin. 
Over and over and over, they had this pattern where God's rescue only lasted as long as the particular judge that is in place. <clears throat> Did you ever, do you ever find yourself in that cycle of sin, rescue, worship, sin, rescue, worship? Judges 13, starting in verse 1, again, the Israelites did evil. Notice he says, again, again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. Be mindful of the fact that the people of Israel had been slaves. Generation after generation of Israelites had been slaves in Egypt. And they found themselves in this perpetual cycle where they got themselves into slavery again. They were once again in bondage. I look at this and I think they must have had a mindset of a slave. That's what they thought they still were. You know that generations pass, and if you and I don't change the way we think, the generations that follow us will also most likely pick up on the way that we have thought, and they also will think that way. So if you don't want to live like, or think like a slave, you ought to start thinking differently because you don't want your children to experience the same thing that was representing here with the children of Israel, where generation after generation, they kept thinking the same way, and they kept getting into the same cycles. But God had a plan. God had a plan to bring them out of that slavery. Now, we've all heard of Samson, either in uh, the Bible account, the biblical account, or we've heard it through uh, stories uh, in pop culture or uh, in children's books. I'd encourage you to read the whole thing again. Judges 13 to 16. It's a, it's a really compelling story of a childless couple being told by an angelic visitor sent by God that a child would be born to them. In verse 2 of Judges 13, the story continues. In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. I want you to pay attention to that last line. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. It's like 40 years of slavery, and all of a sudden God said, okay, I've had enough. Bring on Samson. Let's change the trajectory here. So here's the story. Go with me. An angel of the Lord appeared to, the, to his mom and told her she was going to become pregnant and give birth to a boy. A Nazarite, no wine, no unclean food, no haircuts. Samson is born. God blessed him, and the spirit of the Lord began to work in him. As his hair grew, so did his strength, until he was the strongest man alive. He went to the city of Timnah, a Philistine beauty caught his eye, and his parents said, no, no. And he said, yes, get her for me. So they did, and God set the wheels of destiny in motion. On his way to Timnah, a lion attacked, and he tore it apart with his bare hands like it was a kitten. 
Several days later, he came back to marry his hot Philistine woman and walked right past that dead carcass and discovered bees had set up camp in the carcass some of the, uh, so, and made honey. So he dipped his hand into the dead lion and ate some of the honey, but he didn't tell his parents what he'd done. He's getting married. He throws a seven-day bachelor party. And to his guest, he says, riddle me this. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Of course, his boys are stumped. They go to his wife and she cries for days till Samson can't take it anymore. He gives her the answer. She tells the boys. Samson's angry. He says to his boys, he says, if you hadn't plowed with my cow, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. Side note, men, never let anyone plow with your wife, whatever that means. And never call your wife a heifer. After that, he goes out and he kills 30 men and goes home to mama. Meanwhile, his father-in-law gives his wife to his best man because Samson's back in his father's land. And sometime later, he goes to see his wife and discovers that she is no longer his. So in a rage, he catches 300 foxes, couples them up, sets their tails on fire, and completely destroys the Philistines' agribusiness. They, in turn, kill his ex-wife and father-in-law. Samson got back at them by killing many of their men and then went and lived in a cave. <laughs> the Philistines thought they'd captured him, but he grabbed the donkey jawbone and then he killed uh, a thousand men and he was a judge for 20 years. Scripture's so weird sometimes. And then he was a judge for 20 years. So I guess after he killed a thousand men, the Israelites said, you're the next judge. And he was a judge for 20 years. Then one night he went to Gaza Funny that we're talking about Gaza this morning. Then he went to Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. He stayed till midnight, then carried the doors of the city gate and set them on a hill overlooking the city. That was like the ultimate um, insult in those days. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with, hey there, Delilah, who was a Philistine secret agent and whose leaders had promised her a payout of 28 pounds of silver, which today's money is like millions of dollars for the secret of Samson's strength. So Delilah, she turns it on. Samson, tell me why you're so strong. Is there a way your strength can be broken? What if I got some fresh new bowstrings? Would that do it? Samson's like, yeah, baby. Tie me up and I'll lose my strength. I didn't work, he lied. So she asked, would fresh new ropes work? And he said, yeah. And I'll be as weak as any other man if you get to tie me up. And then he said, of course, I lied, I'm sorry. But if you braid my locks, if you braid my hair and anchor them to the ground, oh man, I'm just kidding about that too. I lied about that as well. Samson, how can you say you love me? You don't even trust me. Tell me your secret. You're making me look all foolish. So it went day after day after day after day. She was nagging him to tell her the truth. So finally he said, it's my hair. Shave my head and I'll be as weak as any other man. Just shave my head. Are you happy now? So while Samson sleeps, twice now, He's like sleeping and she does this stuff to him. I don't know how this happens. The shaving happened while he's sleeping. His strength is gone when he wakes up 
And now he's in Philistine hands. And they do what any normal enemy would do. They gouge his eyes out. They tie him to a grindstone, and day after day after day, he grinds the grain, and as he grinds the grain, his hair grows, and his strength returns. Samson. As a Nazarite, there were three vows you had to make. The first one was don't get drunk. Like, don't drink. Don't get drunk. No coronas, no mimosas, no nothing with your chimichanga, whatever you want to eat with. Alcohol couldn't even touch his lips. Like, forbidden. The second thing was don't touch dead things. According to Hebrew law, dead things were unclean, and Nazarites were forbidden to handle the remains of anything dead. And number three, don't ever cut your hair. Hair had to be grown as long as it would naturally grow. So the Nazarite's long hair was a constant reminder of his commitment to God. Sort of like my wedding band. I look at that and I remember, oh, I'm married to Brenda. That's right. That's where I, that's where I belong. So if you saw a, if you saw a person, uh, a man with unusually long hair during Samson's time, you might have said, oh, that guy must be a Nazarite. He's dedicated his life to God. Now, uh, in addition to his Fabio hairstyle, do you guys remember? You know, I, I, I'm writing this and I'm like, does anybody even know who Fabio is anymore? If you don't, it's all good. He, you know, had long hair. Uh, Samson wasn't just a long-haired person, but he had a superhero sort of status. He had super strength. God had, had, had sort of imparted onto him as some divine superpowers. Now, uh, as you hear this, as, as I say this even this morning, you know, we may all be thinking, well, he's nothing like me. He doesn't drink. He has all his hair and he has some kind of super strength. But just like you and I, Samson's life shows the same, the same problems, the same three problems that have made strong men weak since the beginning of time. Number one, lust. I want it, and I must have it. Lust. It makes strong men weak. It's like a spark uh, that becomes an inferno in a moment. Samson, after 20 years as a judge, took a step in the direction of Timnah. Samson, the he-man with a she-weakness, knew what we know all too well. We see it, we want it, we take it, at least in our minds. We say, I don't care what God says. I don't care what... Authorities say, I don't care what's right or wrong. I'm a man or a woman, by the way. This isn't just relegated to men. It's also, it's, it happens with all humans. I've got desires. I've got needs. I want it. You know what happens next? Desire gives way to sin, and Samson threw all caution to the wind, and he took a step in the wrong direction. He didn't just, like, take a big leap in the wrong direction. We don't take big leaps in the wrong direction. We take small, incremental steps in the wrong direction until we find ourselves in a place we never intended to be. When it's all about what I want, it's a disaster waiting to happen. That's lust. Entitlement is the second one that I want to look at. Entitlement, which says, I deserve it. I deserve it. On his way to Timnah, Samson turned aside. Huh, that was his first mistake. He turned aside. Too often we're focused on some task and then we turn aside. And we lose focus. We turn aside and it rarely ends well. 
He turned aside. He saw, he saw the dead lion. Whoa, I killed that sucker. He was admiring his work. Then he looked inside and saw the honey and was like, ooh, that's sweet. I want some of that. Broke another vow. What was one of the vows he took as a Nazarite? Don't touch anything dead. It's not that difficult a rule to follow, but he didn't just like lightly touch it. Scripture says that he plunged his hand inside it and then he ate it. Who would do that? Who would do that? Like betray the very God that had given him the power to tear the, the lion apart in the first place for a couple handfuls of honey. Who would do that? I know, you would, and I would. It seems that we do it all the time. We do dumber things every day. We betray God who blesses us for stupid, sinful things that we want in the moment, things that ultimately hurt us and the people we love. See, lust makes us think, I want it. And then entitlement comes along in that little voice and says, I want it, and adds, I deserve it. Lust says, I want it. Entitlement says, oh, I deserve that. Which leads us to the third problem, pride. Pride, which says, I got this. Yeah, I can handle it. I got this. I can handle it. So Mr. Strong throws a party for an occasion that everyone that knew him, that loved him and advised him against. But Samson did what, he, what we often do, what he wanted to do. Samson did what we often do, what he wanted to do. God's chosen guy decided that the girl that wasn't for him was actually for him. And the party, the feast that followed, uh, the Hebrew word for this feast is um, something like mishti. A mishti, by definition, is a drinking occasion. So basically, Samson threw himself a kegger. And let's see, he was a Nazarite, which also meant that he wasn't supposed to drink. Or eat, drink grape juice or even eat raisins. That's how far they were supposed to stay away from this stuff. But I want it, and I deserve it, and I can handle this. So before we judge Samson too harshly, let's be honest. How often have we been in the same place? You know, one hit won't kill me until uh, I'm now succumbing to the addiction of a substance. Or uh, make it a little more uh, maybe practical for, for us. Maybe it's a new car, a nice boat, a bigger house. I can handle it, and soon the debt is overwhelming, and it owns me. Or maybe it's Delilah. Maybe it's Delilah who sure looks good, but she ain't yours. And then you look a little more, and you're at the office, and she touches your arm. It's innocent, all right, until it isn't. But pride says, I got this. I can handle it. The truth is we can't handle anything without God. You know, if we recognize this and begin to address our pride, we may avoid finding ourselves in the place that, find, that Samson found himself, a place where he was grinding it out in a, in a place of deep pain and regret. Lust, entitlement, and pride, three problems, all encompassed in a way of thinking that has made strong men weak since the beginning of time. So when we face failure, here's a key point. When we face failure, we can choose between two responses. When you and I face failure, when we do something that we wish we wouldn't have done, 
We can either respond with remorse, which is a common one, but I think there's a better one, and that is repentance. So instead of, um, instead of going inward or deflecting outward, we can look upward. Instead of going inward, instead of deflecting outward, we can look in upward. Instead of allowing ourselves to get stuck, if we can simply stop and let God move in, then we can drop the guilt. We can drop the regret, the anger, and the self-pity and return to God. See, repentance means owning up to our mistakes and accepting responsibility. Um, when we say things like, this was my fault, it's a really good one, guys. I'll take responsibility. This is my fault. If we've been in a pattern, a cyclical pattern of sin, it's important for us to be clear about how long we've been in this cycle. And it's important for us to be able to say, I've had this coming for a long time. Repentance also requires us to take action. It requires us to turn away from the wrong, the past, and turn our attention to changing the future. Repentance actually means that we have to change our mind. We can't repent and live into that repentance with the same th way of thinking that we've always thought. See, re remorse, and I love this picture. Remorse, um, go with me here, builds an emotional monument to our sin and then stands back and, and gazes at it while we feel bad. Think about this. That's remorse. Oh, that's what I did. That's really terrible. I should be ashamed of myself. I wonder what my neighbor thinks about me. <laughs> that's a pretty big deal, that thing that I did. Man, I feel bad about it. Repentance, on the other hand, is making a 180 and turning away from the sin and walking away from it. And as we walk away, we don't look back at it. We repent, and it's done. Back to Samson. The Philistines had captured Samson, and their life is now back to normal, and so they throw a party at the local temple where massive columns hold up the entire structure. Remember this story? This final kind of final picture of who Samson is? It holds up the, these, these columns holding up the structure, and uh, some, uh, some indications are that there might have been upwards of 5,000 people that were at this ginormous party. It says they were sitting on the roof and they were celebrating. They were praising their God, Dagon, their harvest God. And here's what they said, because the one who killed so many of us is now in our power. And while they were in high spirits, they began to shout and ask for Samson. Bring Samson out, let him entertain us. So Samson was now the brunt of the joke, but what they couldn't see was what was happening while he was grinding out the grain in the prison. Now all he needed was two supporting columns, one on either arm, and he got that. He asked the servant kid to take him over to those columns, and then he prayed, and he said, just once more, God. And then he pushed with all his might, and with that final push, he fulfilled his purpose. And what was his purpose? He was going to take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. His mom had been promised that when he, before he was born, and that's how he ended it. 
just once more. They had counted him out, but he wasn't out. And you know what? This morning, I don't know where you are in life, what your experiences are, or uh, maybe you're currently in something where you feel like you've been counted out, but it's never too late to start to change your mind. It's never too late to start to change your mind. Now, we don't see much of anything in, in uh, the New Testament, Testament about Samson, except for in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. Ha- chapter 11 talks about those who came before us, the giants of faith. And this is what Hebrews 11.33 says about Samson. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength, and they became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. We can look at Samson's life in its entirety, and it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. One mistake after another after another. And yet, he ended well. So don't give up. Don't give up in this journey of life where you will make mistakes. You will say things and do things because you are human that you're not going to be pleased with, that God is not going to be pleased with. The question is, will you respond with remorse or will you respond with repentance? See, the Israelites in Samson's day were in bondage. They were in slavery to the Philistines. They lived with fear, with racial hatred, with murder. They were in faithless marriages. And I don't know about you, but that sure sounds a lot alike today. Our world is in... Our world is in a perilous situation. And um, we all know, we watch the news, we know what's going on. Things are very unpredictable. And so we have to decide what requires our attention. Are we in need of a mind shift? Do we need to begin thinking differently? You know, all those things that are wrong, they can be just one right decision away. The next decision you make should be the best decision you make. What if you just change your mind? What if you'd really just let Jesus inform your future? One of the, uh, one of the life verses for me is in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Notice that he doesn't say, I urge you to offer your mind. I urge you to offer your body only. He's not done yet. He, he's, he's calling us to holistically give ourselves to God. He continues, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And here it is, by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test. He doesn't say, you can do all of this before you renew your mind. He says, when you renew your mind, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
Would you stand with me? It's a mind, body, soul connection. This idea of changing our mind means we change everything. After the Holyfield Douglas fight, a sports commentator was heard to say, you know, some people are just structured for failure. He's referring to Buster. He said, some people are just structured for failure. So if my mind can be structured for failure, failure, then my mind can also be structured for success. See, the way that we think, the mental constructs we developed, so if we consistently think, yeah, I, I, I definitely don't have success in, in my life. If we're always believing that we can't even learn the next thing, we probably won't. Success won't, probably won't come our way. If we think that we can never understand our spouse, we can just never get through to them. We probably never will. If that's what we believe, that's probably what we will see happen. But our mental constructs, the way we think, if we begin to think rightly, then, you know, it doesn't matter who gets in the ring with us. A far lesser foe than what we might imagine we could beat in a fight is going to take us out because we're not thinking rightly. I'm not one of these people that says, you can achieve anything in your life. The world is your oyster. Go kill it. Just, you can do it. Frankly, you're created to do some things. You have to figure out what those things are. You can't necessarily do the same thing that the person next to you can do. But God's created you for purpose. And the only way you're going to achieve that purpose if you change your mind. You have to begin thinking differently. Our life will never change if we don't first have a change of mind. It just won't. If you want your life to change, you have to think differently. What is good and right and beautiful? You begin to think on those things and your life will change. There's few guarantees in life. But if you change your mind, your heart changes, your relationships change. Because you're not submitting to lust and entitlement and pride. And when you don't submit to those three major problems with humanity, you begin to live a life of selflessness and graciousness and generosity and your life changes.
your life will change. So let's not walk out of here today having spent a pretty good hour together, compartmentalize what we've experienced and heard and avoid it for another week and head back to the office tomorrow and be remorseful and unrepentant. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. <clears throat> the prayer ministry team, team will be uh, in the front this morning again. And... Um, It is, by the way, not a walk of shame to walk up front and get prayer. Uh, any of you that have sat back there and watched other people walk up here and get prayer, I know that in your mind you're saying, wow, they're courageous. They're courageous. But if your mindset is such that says, I could never do that, you're thinking wrongly. Maybe it's today where your mindset begins to shift with a step out of your seat for prayer. Father, I thank you that you have, um, like you've brought us all to this place this morning. We're not here by accident. We are here on purpose. We got up, got out of bed, drank some coffee, got in our car, and drove to the corner of 5th and Madison. That was on purpose. We didn't get here by accident. I also believe, God, that you have brought us here. Uh, yep, we came, but you came too. And um, even now, we sense your presence. We hear you. And we're moving towards you. God, for anyone here that has uh, the knowledge of poisonous thinking, wrong thinking, thinking that is uh, structured for failure, God, would you just give them courage to realign this morning and become the person you've called them to be? We thank you for the ways in which you continue to open our minds and hearts to the work that you're doing in this place and in our community. And most importantly, because it all starts with one person to the next person to the next person. We're grateful for the work that you're doing in each one of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family. <laughs>